Millions of frontline workers keep our economy running and are provided with the latest technology to do their jobs. But digital adoption, especially by frontline workers, is really hard. This is Frontline Innovators. We explore how to overcome challenges and achieve success when we empower our essential workers. I'm Justin Lake. And I'm Gene Signorini. Together, we speak with experts who are leading the way and driving digital transformation to the front line. This podcast is sponsored by Skillful on a mission to help frontline workers learn and use the technology needed to succeed in their jobs. I'm your host, Justin Lake, and we're going to have another great episode today. Today's guest has over 15 years of management experience in diverse areas of project and program management, software, engineering, operations, and procurement and contract management. He is driven by his profound desire for a positive impact on those he leads and those in the world around him. He's currently the project manager of programs change and analytics at a major electric utility. Please welcome Mario Aguirre. Hello, Thanks, Mario. Justin. Glad, glad to be here. Really excited to have you here. Thank you so much for uh, carving out some time with us today. I want to start the show off as we always do and ask you what you think is the biggest challenge you see facing the deskless workforce today. Yeah, Justin. So the, the deskless workforce is becoming less and less deskless as innovation is being deployed much closer and closer to those frontline employees. The deskless workforce is less and less uh, without a desk, right? And as leaders of innovation, we have to ensure that our leaders are engaging those frontline employees and making sure to have a process to do that. And you know what we're deploying is ensuring that our leaders, one, observe the frontline employees, that they seek input from those frontline employees, they solution the opportunity, then they communicate the solution, they do the deployment, and then they make sure that they have a check and adjust period where they come back and seek input from those frontline employees. So that's really interesting, something that you said. I want to explore that a little bit more right now before we get into your background. Um, help me understand what you mean by the deskless workforce is becoming less deskless. I'd like to dig into that a little further. Yeah, so, so um, with analytics, right, and big data, uh, companies all over are trying to, you know, take benefit of that and, Really, when you get down to it, right, you look at the, uh, the cost benefit analysis, uh, headcount analysis, and things of that nature. Now, a lot of it starts with frontline employees. So as you start to get more innovative, those technologies start to make their way into the hands of the frontline employees. It could be something simple as someone didn't have a laptop before, and now they have a laptop, right? So those folks who have been employed for 10, 15, 20, 40 years, now they have this device that they have to, to deal with. Could be as simple as a scanner, uh, a mobile device scanner. And so that that's kind of what uh, I mean, right? As far as they're, they're becoming less and less deskless. Yes, they're not showing up to an office, but the technology is showing up to them. That is a fantastic way to describe it. And the technology showing up to them is my favorite part of, of your explanation there, because I've been in 
uh, you know, F-250 pickup trucks at utility companies. And they basically look like a cubicle, right? Where, uh, you know, guys have their laptops and tablets and things like that out in, in the cab of their truck. And that is where they're, they're doing their job, right? So it's not in a traditional desk format inside a cubicle or an office. Um, but you're right. We have pushed a lot of technology out to the front lines. And that's really the whole reason that we have this podcast is to really talk through, you know, the challenges and, and the best practices around how we can make their lives better as it relates to that tech innovation. There's some other things that I want to come back to when you talked about leadership, but I, before we do that, I'd really like to, to give the audience and me uh, a little bit better understanding about your background, how you ended up in the role that you're in today and uh, take us back and, and give us a little bit of the history. Yeah. So I, I started uh, my career as a engineer. And um, as I went through my career, it became clear that I wanted to be much more kind of on the business side of, of uh, the company. So then I got into project management, managed a few projects. I was in uh, operations where I learned a little bit about, you know, the operating folks and how to uh, work with the craft uh, employees there. And, and over time, right, these diverse experiences going from even software implementation and actually doing some programming in my career, right? It's given me a very broad skill set and some very good business insights into how each employee and entire life cycle is impacted by change, by innovation, by new deployments, and so that that's really kind of what give me gave me the background to work what I do now, which is leading uh, programs, change, business transformation, and analytics, which is really the foundation of how we make business decisions. It's really that that data, the analytics. It's no more that gut feeling decision, but having the data to support that gut decision. And maybe it's still close to what you may have decided, but maybe it pivots you 10 degrees to the to the left or maybe even 50 degrees to the right. It's really interesting. You have a, a very interesting and diverse background to, to have you know engineering and then gotten into project management and, and change. Let's let's go back a little bit to the engineering. I, I see one of your roles uh, back in 2009 was implementation mechanical lead. Tell us about that a little bit more. Like, what were you actually doing at that point in in your career here? Yep, and so uh, that was uh, in 09 on in the power plant uh, side of the electric utility there, and it was leading a team of mechanical engineers doing the actual implementation in commissioning of uh, the software assets for new power plants, the uh, mechanical systems, the connections between the electrical systems that drive the mechanical systems. Uh, and it really was so diverse where it was actually boots on the ground, uh, turning wrenches with some of my team members to training those craft employees that would be the eventual owners of the systems, all the way to actually taking a look at software logic and why did this system not work according to the plan there. And then with the broader picture is making sure that we had the strategy in place to get the, the project 
uh, implemented on time and on budget with the constraints that we have. It's really interesting. So are, are you now involved in changes you've kind of advanced through your career and are now in a program leadership role? Are you working with some of the same men and women or the same roles that you were in previously? Yes, uh, absolutely. It's a, a different business line uh, than I was before. So now I'm on the uh, electric delivery side of the uh, business there. And it's the same, right? It's still craft employees. It's still supervisors. It's still managers. Uh, it's just the transferable skills, right? That you're taking from those past experiences and deploying them in a different application. Yeah, one, one of the things that's really fascinating me with the podcast uh, change management series that we've been on is seeing how many people have some connections to the men and women that they support and serve today. So either they were in one of those roles themselves, as you're describing yourself, or, or they had other family members that, uh, or somebody close to them that may have been in a job similar to, to what they're supporting today. Do you think that's impacted how you lead today in your role as a program and change leader? Absolutely. You know, uh, you, you mentioned in the uh, intro, right, that uh, I have a, a profound foundness for the impact to the team members, employees that I interact with. And what's really given me that outlook is being in their shoes in some point in my past uh, career and, and maybe even before that, when I was uh, young and out in the field myself doing uh, wrench turning and things of that nature, it really helps you have a good understanding of how your decision is going to impact every single employee. And so you just put a lot of more thought into the change, into the innovation before you actually go out and deploy it. Yeah. Has there ever been a time maybe since you've been on more of the corporate side of those decisions that maybe you advocated for not introducing change because you understood that it was going to have negative consequences out in the field? Uh, yes. <laughs> um, sometimes those become some challenging conversations, right? And so you have to be uh, cognizant of how you communicate that to the leadership team. And so a lot of times it turns into let's delay the uh, change, right? Let's make sure we get a little bit of more intelligence before we go out and do this deployment. And, uh, you know, earlier in the year, we were looking at doing some change with our uh, warehousing uh, department. And that is something that at the time was going to be a significant impact to those employees. And we really had not done our due diligence in kind of engaging that team. Uh, so that is something we, we actually decided not to uh, go ahead and, and deploy. And as we come back, we implemented other solutions that long-term ended up solving that, that opportunity. And so we didn't have to impact them as much as we did just by stopping, thinking, waiting, doing some other foundational things that actually solved indirectly the problem we were trying to solve earlier in the year. What was it about that change that that gave you pause that made you want to hold back and, and maybe not implement it as originally planned? 
Uh, it was it was two things. One, the significant impact, not just to one team, but to multiple teams, uh, cross departmental rate. Those type of um, efforts and initiatives take a lot of time and energy to make sure that that all those cross departments are involved, right? So it was a compact team of leaders that it just didn't make any sense at the time to have the, the small group spend all that time and energy. So that was the first, first component. And then the, the second component was that our team wasn't yet uh, developed enough in the, the changes that we were trying to implement from a foundational process perspective that said we needed to put a pause to it. That's really good. I mean, kudos to you guys for, um, you know, for putting the brakes on that. I know that internally and politically that can be very troublesome, especially when time and money has been spent on a particular initiative. But in the end, uh, you've got a great story here, which shows that, you know, doing what was right in the context of, you know, the, the frontline folks that would be impacted by this actually yielded better results than just jamming something down everybody's throat that, you know, could have ended, you know, catastrophically. Yep. Yep. No, it was definitely a, a good, good outcome and it was well-received. It was a good uh, example of the leadership team uh, being able to uh, listen to other voices and actually take that, absorb it and be okay with, with pausing and stopping. Yeah. That's a, a really great story. So I, I appreciate you sharing that. Let's go back to what we talked about in the beginning and talking about the the biggest challenge facing the deskless workforce you know you made a great point that they're becoming less and less deskless they're using more and more technology today if if we were to ask the the men and women in your organization directly those frontline workers that you serve today what do you think from their perspective what do you think they would say is the biggest challenge that they're facing i think for them uh, it's it's a broad right and so we try to think of of those employees as homogenous and I, I always tell folks that there's always a bell curve, right? It doesn't matter if it's change. It doesn't matter if it's a, a group of folks. You're always going to have uh, two extremes, and then you're going to have that middle group of folks. And so you have to try to definitely capture all of them. But if you look at the 80% of them, it's really being engaged and being uh, part of this decision-making tree of all this innovation that's coming down the pipeline. They can be sim simple as, you know, just having a, a frontline uh, meeting with them and tell them, here's some things we're thinking about. And they, they feel that they're actually appreciated and that we're actually thinking about those, those team members. Hey, you mentioned that uh, right at the beginning too. You talked about leaders having to engage and seek input from the men and women on the front lines and to do a better job of communicating. So, you know, communication is a two-way street. It sounds like the frontline folks that you've been around have a desire to communicate back and, and to share their thoughts about it. Um, do you think that all is being done to communicate as effectively in both directions so that you're soliciting feedback from the men and women on the front lines or, and there, are there any best practices around that that you can share with us? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely uh, opportunities throughout organizations to improve. And, uh, you know, we work closely with our uh, change enablement team uh, to, to bring, you know, that voice to the table uh, because they do look at things slightly 
differently than folks that are in the operational groups or that are in uh, innovation and business transformation like uh, myself there. So that's definitely, you know, one good practice and, you know, change enablement is definitely a growing field. Uh, the more I interact with uh, folks outside of my company, I start to see that a lot more. It's been uh, definitely upticking a lot more and, you know, listening to some of your earlier podcasts as well, right? You're, you're, you're running into a lot of change enablement folks that are working with operational teams to get that communication, to get that team member flavor into the change. Yeah, I've noticed that too, which is why we actually started focusing on uh, change leaders on the podcast. We noticed that in the companies that were doing the most strategic digital transformation initiatives, that they had a disproportionately higher number of people in their organizations would change in their title. And I thought that was pretty fascinating, really. And when I also thought back over my career of the companies that I've witnessed who've struggled with technology deployments on the front lines, they actually had very little focus on the human element of change enablement, right? So it's, that shouldn't, it, it seemed like a surprise to me when I, when I first thought about it, but it really makes perfect sense that if we get overly focused on the technology and how the ones and zeros are traveling through the network, um, that's not what's likely to make that project succeed or fail. What's most likely to make it succeed or fail is how we deal with the human element of that change. And so it's, it's interesting to hear you talking about how you're seeing it too. And uh, that's why we've shifted focus on, on the podcast to really include so many people that have change as part of their responsibility. Yeah, it's interesting, uh, you know, when you mentioned the human element, as we were working through some recent changes, uh, uh, I was quite surprised that we actually have one frontline team member that actually doesn't have a vehicle. Um, our our frontline team members have uh, work vehicles uh, for their field activities and they take them uh, home. It's just uh, more efficient that way for yeah. us to run our business that way. And, and so as we start to think about simple changes, like do we move those vehicles from being at their home to a home base, that it never dawned on me that we actually had an employee, right? That didn't have a personal vehicle, right? So now you start looking at those human elements those conversations, that innovative idea now directly impacts that individual's everyday lifestyle. And these are the things that you, you go out and start observing before you start making the change and seeking that input. Those, those are the valuable insights that help you make better decisions. Well, and so you just talked about going out into the field. So tell me about some of your experiences. Have you or members of your team actually gone out to your field locations to go visit with the men and women uh, on the front lines? Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's integral to the way that we're trying to uh, change the uh, culture here in, in this uh, business is making sure that our back office uh, employees are integrated into our uh, frontline employees. And it is... Uh, imperative that our leaders uh, are doing um, what we call field visits 
with their staff, be it uh, internal staff or external staff, to check on their safety? Are they following the safety protocols? Are they running into uh, problems and opportunities that we could solve? Uh, you know, if they do tell us something, making sure that that gets back to our system where we vet out these uh, problems and opportunities, right? And because that creates the full life cycle of the feedback, the leader went out in the field, got some input that there was a, a problem or an opportunity. It came back to the leadership team. The leadership team decided, yes, this is something that happens uh, significantly enough or may have a, a morale uh, impact. And so it needs to be acted on. Or it's possibly just a complaint. We need to come back to the team member and, and tell them that, yes, we did sit together. We did review it. And here was our disposition on this matter. So they get that feedback that we're actually listening and actioning what they're bringing up to the team. Yeah, that's actually really interesting because uh, I think that's one of the challenges and perhaps why some leaders don't solicit feedback because they recognize that they're going to get some feedback that they may not be able to implement and that becomes uncomfortable. You, you just talked about that a little bit. Can you think of any examples that come to mind where maybe some of the feedback that came from the field, once it came back to leadership, they were like, yeah, we, we got that feedback from the field, but we don't want to, to accept that change. Are there any examples where it's kind of gone awry? Uh, uh, yes, lots, <laughs> lots of, of examples. <laughs> and sometimes it's not that the, the leadership team uh, doesn't want to implement, it's that it's, it's practically either uh, impossible given the uh, constraints of the systems, constraints right. of the organization, the uh, possibly non-favorable impacts to other departments. And, uh, you know, we had, we had uh, one uh, opportunity that, that still continues to come, come up and our work, a portion of our work comes through our customer experience. Um, the, the other frontline employees that are getting customer phone calls, right? And sometimes the quality of the information from our customers, not our customer experience professionals, but from our customers is, is subpar. Uh, so they'll call in, they say, yes, I was somewhere around 31st Street and Kennedy Highway. That doesn't give you a whole lot of intelligence to link up wh which physical asset were they talking about. And so the feedback that comes from our, our, our frontline employees in the business is, is that we need to have our own team that only takes the phone calls for our type of assets, as opposed to a, a generic customer experience group that takes phone calls for all of our assets for our entire electric utility. And deploying that is just, you know, really not feasible, right? To, you have to staff up training, it take you know one to two years to deploy something like that. Yeah. The end of the day, you can't change the customer calling, giving you bad quality information, right? That makes perfect sense. So I just to make sure that I'm understanding the point that they were making is perhaps they were feeling that they could ask better questions if they were on the phone with that customer. Am I yes, understanding yes, that? Yes, right? absolutely right. Uh, yeah. So as you get more. 
of a subject matter expert in, in the type of asset that they're calling about, the questions that the customer experience professional might ask, they might ask two or three more detailed questions to get them more located to what asset they were talking about as opposed to just the intersection. But, but this is such a great example of where additional information and communications can really bridge the gap. The, the customer experience professional that's taken the call from that customer may be driven solely by the need to uh, satisfy the client on, on that call and make them feel like they're a valued member of the community and as a customer and things like that. Um, and yet they may not understand how that information is going to be used by your field technicians when they turn that information over, right? And, and of course, the field techs who may not have spent as many times on the call answering calls for eight or 10 hours a day <laughs> may not understand that, you know, those customer care reps are kind of driven by how many calls they can take per hour. And, you know, yeah. so there's, there's a lot of things going on there and communicating in both directions in that scenario, like helping your field techs understand what some of the metrics are that the, you know, the, the customer experience professionals are faced with. Um, and, and also then sharing backward the other way, like if we don't get complete information to the field techs, we're actually not going to be able to solve the problem. So improving the, the knowledge transfer back and forth, I can imagine would, would greatly, uh, improve the outcome without having to make a significant investment of, you know, reskilling the entire team. Yeah, absolutely. And from, from the, uh, frontline employee, what it actually looks like is that they'll end up going out to that intersection two or three times, right? Because somebody a different customer calls in, uh, they see the same uh, asset having an issue. And so that same frontline employee gets frustrated, right? I've been up to this asset multiple times and I still am not getting the quality information. And so the team, the leadership team did do something about that and they're called feedback uh, forms. So as the uh, ticket that comes in from customer experience, there's some minimum requirements so if it doesn't meet the minimum requirements, you fill out a feedback form and it goes back to customer experience where then they can go back and reach out to that customer to try to get that additional information. So that that is the solution that was implement, implemented for the opportunity that our frontline employees are, are bringing. Their solution was, hey, create a whole new department with subject matter experts, right? So both are, are valid solutions one is is uh is going to take a long time uh going to have a lot of uh uh politics associated with it staffing costs the other uh has zero headcount uh increase limited uh uh hours to implement and can be a good business control to improve that quality information yeah and, you know, one of our podcast guests, Jennifer Pickert from Southwest Airlines, referred to the importance of the relationships that we build with the men and women on the front lines. And I, I feel that's a big part of what you're describing, even though you didn't necessarily use the word relationship. When you're talking about the communication and establishing that dialogue with the men and women on the front line to explain the, the customer experience professionals and, you know, what they're going through and the information that they need and, and why it may not be practical to stand up an entire team of SMEs 
but you're de developing a relationship with those men and women by listening to their concerns and understanding why they would be asking for this and how it's impacting their job. And that's really, you know, profoundly important for the effectiveness of that change as you, you implement it. And so, uh, again, even though you didn't use the word relationship, I hear that coming out a lot in what you're describing about how you and your team are, are handling that communication. The folks have to be uh, willing. Um, uh, if you follow the, uh, the pro side model, right, it's the, uh, the desire to uh, yeah. want to uh, take that input, to uh, want to uh, change. And uh, that, that person was. And, uh, you know, we've had some real great outcomes and are actually looking at deploying that model with some other uh, team leads as well. I'm glad you touched on uh, the D in ADCAR. I'd like to talk about that actually for a little bit, because I, I think that's probably one of the areas that I understand least. And maybe there are other folks in the audience that um, could, could use some, some touching up on, on this piece. So uh, A stands for awareness. Uh, I feel like I have that part pretty well understood. Um, but how do you, how can you as change leaders or how can all of us as change leaders affect a human, uh, your team lead or team worker, uh, teammates desire to be affected by change or to be willing to adopt change? Talk, talk me through that a little bit. Yeah, so uh, one thing as, as leaders, you do have to accept that there's a, a bell curve, right? Now, I'm going to continue repeating that over and over. I'm starting over. to hear some themes in the way <laughs> you talk about stuff. That's great. Yes. And um, so, so you do have to accept that you have a team, right? And sometimes you have to look at the individual leader. And other times you have to look at the holistic team. And sometimes when you have someone on the desire spectrum that is not at 100%, like maybe some of the other team members are, that's where you have to make sure that the rest of the team is much closer to the 100% mark on the, on the desire spectrum to help ensure that the collective team is meeting the vision of where that organization is trying to go. Now, it doesn't mean you still don't work with that one individual. And when you do work with that individual, it's, it's uh, coaching, mentoring, right? Building that openness, the trust, building that rapport, that relationship we talked about a little bit earlier and really understanding what is the challenge with that one leader uh, in regards to desire. Because maybe you can't get them to 100%, but maybe you can get them to 75%. And from a holistic team perspective, that's okay. Um, you don't need everyone at 100%. You just have to have the movement in the overall organization and going in that right direction. So ProSci probably has an answer to this. But for those of us who haven't been through ProSci, how do you measure desire? Yeah, so what one, I am not a uh, pro site expert before. Uh, we have a okay. change uh, enablement teams. Yep. So they've run us through uh, some of those models. But the employee, uh, the individual actually measures themselves, right? So they have um, a scorecard, I'll call it, in which you kind of look through the different changes. It could be something as simple as we're deploying uh, a new field visit checklist, uh, or it could be something as simple as, we're, we're going to deploy 
new regular leadership uh, KPI check-ins. And so you go through each one of those changes and you rate yourself in on a scale, right? One, one to five, as far as desire and the other uh, elements. So it's really you as an individual, you, Justin, what is yep. your desire with this change? What is your desire in implementing your, your podcast uh, initiative? That's, that's really a, a great way to, to think about it. Cause ultimately that, that, and that makes perfect sense. As you say that out loud now is, is the only way that it could really be measured is to, to have the employee provide that feedback and something else that you said, I, that I think is really important and I've witnessed it is it, Everybody doesn't have to be at 100%, but the group has to be at some level of willingness to, to make this thing move forward. And if you haven't reached that as a group, reached a state of readiness with that team to adopt this change, then it might actually be better to not do it. Uh, it might be better to pause that action because when we try to just jam it into the fields just to meet a deadline, um, if we, if the people aren't prepared, if the humans aren't ready to adopt this change, then we're actually setting ourselves up to fail. We're not going to achieve the corporate objectives of implementing this change. And we're only going to make the relationship with the men and women on the front lines, you know, that much more strained. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there was a, a enterprise wide, um, software, uh, deployment, uh, ERP, uh, several years back, and it, it uh, you know, your comment there just helped me remind me about that event. They had a hard go live deadline, and one of the uh, presidents at the time had had some interesting experiences in their their pat in their career, where they had the uh, management courage to actually say, "No, we need to stop." We're not going to force us to hit this enterprise-wide deadline that's going to impact 2,000-plus employees. Let's take a pause. It's okay. We're going to push out the deadline to make sure we do this right. And that just really, uh, for me, was a huge, huge uh, acknowledgement that it's okay to fail, right, to get things right. And those small failures are stepping stones for success. I, I agree with that completely. And I think that it, you used the word courage in describing, uh, you know, that move. I, I think that is exactly what it takes. It takes courage and it takes the intelligence and understanding to know that a brief pause for some arbitrary deadline that had been set is better than the outcome of trying to jam something in that's not ready to be adopted yet, right? I think uh, that was a great story that you shared. And, and in the end, it's not really a failure. It's a change in plans. But I think we need to look at, you know, a change doesn't necessarily mean it's a failure. It's, it's uh, you know, we're adopting uh, or adapting, I should say, the, the schedule and the plan in order to ensure success in the long run, even if that means there's a couple of setbacks along the way. I think that's a great, uh, great story you shared. Yeah, Justin, it's uh, interesting you you bring up uh, the messaging, right? So I said uh, failure and messaging branding is always uh, important as we go through innovation, right? If you call something a certain word, it could have 
a certain connotation to employees, right? And so you have to make sure you have the right messaging, that the team is consistent in the messaging, that it's a positive uh, message, and that it also addresses ahead of time the concerns that that team members are going to bring up because there are going to be concerns. Yeah, and I, I think the words that we use are important for you know, the, the awareness and the desire and all the other phases of ADCAR and just for successful communication with other humans. I, you know, I have a, a bit of an issue with the expression fail fast, right? As if failing fast is, is a good thing. I understand the intent behind that. It is to not let ourselves get wrapped up in making mistakes along the journey. And so I understand the intent of that expression, but I don't actually like the expression itself because what I think we're really trying to say when we say fail fast is it's okay to make mistakes as long as we learn from them and continue to refine and adapt our plan over time. And maybe that took too many words, <laughs> fail fast, you know, it's faster, but, but it's not about failing. It's, it's only a failure if we make a mistake or we try something and it doesn't work and then we haven't learned from it and we go back and we make the same mistake again, that would be a failure. But going out and trying things and experimenting and really understanding how we can adapt so that we can really take the longer view of that innovation, I think should be seen as totally positive. And it's, it's hard to think positively with the word fail, you know, in the expression. So, uh, but, but it's also important too. It, the, the other point that you're, you're making there is how we communicate what we're doing to the men and women on the front lines, especially in a utility company. I think we've had a bunch of guests from utility companies and, Utility companies are risk averse. There's a heavy, heavy, very obvious uh, why this is, but a very heaviest focus, uh, a heavy focus on safety. And so saying things like fail fast is not necessarily the most positive thing around an organization that's been trained to think of risk aversion and safety, right? So uh, I do think words matter. And, uh, you know, we, we still need to be innovative. We still need to push the envelope for innovation, but we need to do it in a way that is, uh, you know, comforting to the men and women around us, not actually causing them to be uh, more anxious and stressed about it. Yeah, no, definitely reminds me of a, of a, a time long, long, long time ago or when I was in the field. Um, and I, I told someone uh, off the cuff that I had gotten uh, electrocuted. Uh, and that has a very negative connotation in, in the uh, industry. I, I can imagine. And someone quickly uh, corrected me is that I came in contact with a low voltage system. <laughs> Uh, it is just a, a 120 volt uh, system, right? Electrical outlet and uh, put my yep. hand in the wrong spot. The, the words matter. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, let me ask you this. What is the contribution that you've made throughout your career that you are most proud of? I definitely say it's the, uh, the people impact. Um, I have found out over my years that I can, I can uh, be deployed in uh, any application, uh, in any business line, but it's really the people. Um, being able to work with uh, leaders, uh, being able to work with the uh, frontline employees, being able to work with technology folks in our, in our IT space, uh, being able to work uh, in, in the field with our folks who are turning wrenches or really making an impact on them and helping them get to where they need to be. Maybe it's not in uh, the organization they're at now. Maybe it is. Maybe they want to grow in their career. And it's really helping foster 
that roadmap for them, uh, the tool set, uh, the coaching, the the mentoring to help them, you know, be great uh, performers, uh, but more importantly, for them to achieve whatever it is that they want to achieve for themselves. That's what always has uh, driven me in each of my roles. Yeah, that's really powerful. And I think that's a big part of what we're trying to raise the awareness of with frontline innovators is that the innovation actually is less about the technology and more about ensuring the success of the men and women around us that are going to be affected by this. And uh, you've done a great job of, of just really kind of explaining your empathy and uh, deep understanding of the needs, uh, you know, of the men and women on the front lines and, and how you're affecting change with that. So I uh, really appreciate you sharing those stories with us. Thank you. Glad to be here. We're, we're running short on time here. And um, I, I do want to ask you before we go what your favorite thing is about working in and around technology. Yeah, it's uh, the future. It's always the, uh, the future. And, uh, you know, the things that can be done with technology, the things that uh, can be stopped uh, from doing, right? And moving manual activities to technology, creating the uh, opportunity for that individual to do less manual work and do higher value work. That's right. always been what has uh, given me a lot of uh, excitement in the technology space is seeing that future and what it can become that really, again, helps those individual team members better leverage their own skill sets to become the person that they want to be, wherever it is that they want to be. It could be where they're at now or somewhere else. Yeah, that's pretty rewarding in seeing, um, you know, how people can can develop and improve their state uh, through the use of technology and being able to help them do that is uh, is a great accomplishment. W what would you say is something that you maybe find frustrating or dislike about being around technology? Uh, this will sound uh, this will sound hilarious, but it's it's the people. Um, <laughs> it's always the people and the good and the bad. <laughs> yes. Uh, you have you have to work with the bell curve, right? And you're you're not always going to have the, uh, the the best team member, um, but you have to create that culture within the overall team so that the overall team can be successful and find those uh, skill sets where somebody does have their strengths and work around that person's uh, strengths and downplay the uh, weaknesses that they may have. Uh, but that's really what it comes comes down to is being adaptable enough to find why is this one team member having a challenge? Why is this other team member succeeding and doing the exact same thing? And you have to find that middle ground and adapt to your individual team. Well, and, and really your answer to these questions here at the end um, kind of speaks to a big part of what Frontline Innovators is about, which is that at the end of the day, the success or failure around digital transformation initiatives is rarely about whether the technology actually did what it was supposed to do or not. It's, it's most often about whether the humans, all of us involved, have done our part and are able to interact with and engage with the, the technology
in, in a way that is meaningful and, and ultimately allows us to be successful and allows the, the business outcomes to be achieved. So it, uh, humans, you know, uh, obviously <laughs> make such a, a, a big, um, it, it's such a, I guess the, the point of it is that it's such a bigger variable in the overall equation of success for digital transformation than I think a lot of people give it credit for. And, and you've done a great job of helping us understand why and how uh, we can we can do a better job of that. So thank you for sharing all that today. Thanks, Justin. Appreciate it. Yeah. Well, we need to wrap it up there. Mario, thank you so much for your time today. It's been uh, great getting to know you a little bit. I ha actually have a bunch of other questions. We'll have to take them offline because uh, you, you, I was taking notes throughout our entire conversation. I have a few more things I'd like to talk about, but we're running out of time in the show today. So let's definitely stay in touch. Um, and I do want to remind you and all of our listeners that guests of the podcast, uh, after doing our interview, get invited to participate in a special private group we have on LinkedIn called Frontline Innovators Council. Your fee for entry into uh, this private group is only to have sat through a 45-minute podcast with me. So uh, so you've passed that, you've paid your dues, and uh, right. I very much appreciate you doing that and really look forward. You'll get an invite today into uh, the Innovators Council. Uh, we're still just getting things ramped up in there, but it is a group right now and it grows every week as we do more and more of these podcasts. And uh, the goal of that group is really to make sure that we can keep the conversation going beyond just, you know, a, a once a single session with the podcast. So look forward to continuing our dialogue there and introducing you to uh, the rest of the podcast guests that are inside the council already. Yeah, Justin, that sounds uh, exciting. Look forward to being part of that team. Fantastic. Well, to our audience, I hope you found this conversation as enjoyable as I have. And if so, we could really use your help. Please share and rate the podcast. Five-star ratings help ensure that it gets promoted to other professionals like you that are out there innovating on the front lines. And a reminder that this podcast is sponsored by Skillful, the mobile digital adoption platform for deskless and frontline workers. Visit the website at skillful.com. That's S-K-Y-L-L-F-U-L.com. And if you or somebody you know is out there innovating on the front lines, we'd love to hear about it. Please reach out to me on LinkedIn and share their story and make an introduction. We'd love to have them on a guest uh, as a guest on our show. And we'll see you on the, the next episode. Thanks, Mario. 